0: Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles this afternoon to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter, First Peter chapter 2. <coughs> we are continuing to walk through this letter from the Apostle Peter to Christians, mostly Gentile Christians, but you know, Jewish and Gentile Christians in this region. He mentions them there in First Peter chapter 1, the first couple of verses. Christians who are suffering, Christians who are facing some level of persecution, some level of rejection, some level of being pushed to the fringes, if you will, of society. And when we get to First Peter chapter 2, these first few verses from chapter 4, verse 4 on down, really begin to speak to the nature of. ...of these Christians, really begin to speak to the eternal nature of these men and women. So, if you found First Peter chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. So let me invite you to stand as we read and honor the Lord's, uh, the Word of the Lord. So, the Word of the Lord, under the inspiration, the Apostle Peter writes, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious... So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word meets us where we are. It redeems us through Jesus Christ, giving us the wisdom to know him to surrender and repent. It also gives us the strength to get up every day in a world where we are sojourners and outcasts and live in a way that brings you glory. So as we walk through this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would speak it to our hearts, that you would continue or begin to transform us evermore into the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Peter gives his readers in these passages of Scripture, he gives his readers, both those in the first century and we in the 21st century, three images, three images that we're going to find in this this passage. They are images built on the teaching that we have already encountered in this letter and they are going to be affirmed throughout the rest of this letter. I want to continually remind us the primary theme for Peter in this letter to Christians, Christians who are rejected and suffering, is that in everything they everything they do, everything they feel, everything they say, their calling from God as born-again men and women, is that they are to be holy. They are to be holy. God is holy. We are to be holy. And so the first image that Peter takes us to is the image or the picture of the holy temple. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. The temple... Stood at the center of worship for God's people for centuries. It began with the construction of the tabernacle. (coughs) We find that back in Exodus chapter 25 uh, to 27. And then some more of that is listed or is detailed out in chapters 35 and following. But God gave detailed instructions for constructing everything both in the temple or in the tabernacle and those things around it. We get a picture of this when he tells them how to make the Ark of the Covenant. He says, you shall make an Ark of Achaia wood. Two cubics and a half shall it be in length. A cubic is about 18 inches. Two cubics and a half <coughs> shall it be in length. A cubic and a half its breadth. And a cubic and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. You shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubic and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. Shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat? Make one cherub on the one end, one cherub on the other end of one piece. With the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall be spread out or shall spread out their wings and overshadow the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces to one another. Toward the mercy seat shall their faces of the cherub be. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you as God's promise, and from above the mercy seat. The details of this continue on for the table of bread, the golden lampstand. They're just as elaborate. They're just as beautiful. And then he talks about building the tabernacle with curtains and clasps and frames and cords centered by the altar of sacrifice. God details its construction and its contents. Then in 1 Kings chapter 6, we see Solomon builds the first temple. This is what the Bible says about that. So Solomon built the house and finished it. He lined the walls of the wood and the inside with boards of cedar. From the floor of the house to the walls to the ceiling, he covered them on the inside with wood. And he covered the floor of the house with boards of cypress. (coughs) He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls, and he built this within as an inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. The house, that is the nave in front of the inner sanctuary, was 40 cubits long. The cedar within the house was carved in, uh, it carved in the form of gourds and open flowers. All was cedar, no stone was seen. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house to set there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high, and he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the altar of cedar. And Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold, and he drew chains of gold across in front and in the inner sanctuary, and he overlaid it with gold, and he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. Also the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary he overlaid with gold. This is the house. This is the temple. This is where the people of God would meet God. This is where they gathered to worship to God. This is where they gathered to sacrifice to God. This is where atonement was made. This is where every worshiper longed to be. However, though God built the temple, it was always to point us to the cornerstone. The one stone in the foundation that held everything else together. And the one that Psalm 118 verse 22 tragically declares as the stone that the builders rejected. The psalmist says this has become the cornerstone. We rejected that stone. And Peter (coughs) Peter tells us the rejected stone is Jesus. The living stone rejected by all men. However, and here's the good news. God chose the rejected stone and declared Him His precious Son. Jesus, rejected by men, chosen by God. And we, who are born again, rejected and suffering in this world, scattered and reviled by this world, In the chosen cornerstone of Jesus, we are now being built into the temple of God. Verse 5 again. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The image of stones is prominent throughout the Bible. Indeed, Jesus names the author of this letter, Peter, which means stone. Stones are sometimes used for building and sometimes used for killing. We'll remember Stephen who was stoned for his testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Peter says that we who are in Christ are stones. And not just dead, lifeless, cold rocks scattered on the ground. He says you are living stones. Individually, but more importantly, we are living stones who Jesus is using right now to build his temple. We are corporately the living stones for the living temple for the living Son of God. So how does this happen? verse 7 and 8 tell us so the honor the honor of being a living stone is for you who believe but for those who do not believe they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do we who believe we whom God has chosen and caused to be born again we who are rejected by the world shunned and dismissed by family, friends, church members, co-workers societies, politics, schools, whatever, wherever. We, the outcasts, because of God's eternal mercy, is building us into His very home. God no longer meets us over the mercy seat in a physical temple. He meets us right here when we meet together as His chosen people. He's building us into His spiritual house. But there's a second image that Peter gives us. Not only are we the new temple of God, we are also the new priests of God. The verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Beloved, let that settle into our hearts. Let's just marinate in that truth for a moment. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. (coughs) Who cares if we are rejected by the world before we were born again we were rejected by God. We were lost. Eternally lost. And the only thing we were destined for was eternal damnation. Separated from our Holy Creator for all of eternity in a very, very real place called hell. And if you are rejecting Jesus now, this is still your destination. I'll remind us both soberly and fearfully of Second Peter chapter two, verse four. God did not spare his angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. But Peter says we're no longer those people. Indeed, he says we are the people of God. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation. Now, you are God's people. Our identity as priests is related to our identity in Christ. How? How does this happen? How is it that we go from people destined for an eternity in hell to being God's people and indeed God's priests? How? Peter tells us, it's mercy. Go all the way back up to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According to his... <coughs> great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead the only power which calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light is the excellencies of his mercy Paul affirms this truth in Ephesians chapter 2 you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. Jesus affirms this in the parable from Luke chapter 18. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with content. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts, saying, God, be merciful to me. Jesus goes on, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God, or Paul, I'm sorry, graphically describes every one of us. In Romans chapter 3, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Oh, beloved, how we need mercy. The context for Peter's message here (coughs) refers back to the prophet Hosea. You may remember him as the one that God called to marry a woman named Goma. Gomer, at the very best, was a prostitute. Hosea obeyed God, married Gomer, and bore children with her. One of those children, God named No Mercy. The second of those children, God named Not My People. However, Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, we read this. God says, I will sow her for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people and he shall say to me, you are my God. Beloved, as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, we who were not God's people now are. And we who had no mercy Now have eternal mercy As God's priests <clears throat> We no longer make sacrifices before the people Rather we proclaim the excellencies of him Who called us out of darkness Into his marvelous light. We preach Jesus We preach the gospel of Jesus, crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sin and the redemption of the repentant believer. Friends, there are millions of men and women in this world, billions of men and women in this world, thousands who probably live within driving distance of us, hundreds that we could probably walk to, and maybe some in this room or listening to this service who are dying every day without mercy. Why? Because they failed to believe. And for many, they failed to believe because we failed to proclaim. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to the Romans in chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, then, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? They have not all obeyed the gospel. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Please, dear friends, if we know Christ today, we must understand that God still meets His people in His temple. It's just that we are now that temple. And furthermore, God still proclaims through His priests the message of sacrificial mercy to the world. We are those priests. Two images for the people of God. We are God's temple. We are God's priests. But there's one more that Peter offers us. The final image is that we are loved. Look at verse 11, the very first word. Beloved. Beloved, That may be one of my favorite words in all the Bible. Beloved. For people who are exiles, suffering, rejected, and scattered, what better image can Peter give them and us than to know that we are loved. We are the beloved. Deuteronomy chapter 33, the beloved of the Lord dwell in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. Psalm 60 verse 4 and 5, you have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered, given salvation by your right hand. Answer us. Mark 1.1 speaking of Jesus. The voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Romans chapter 9. Indeed he says in Hosea those who were not my people I will call my people and her who was not beloved I call beloved. Being beloved Means something to Peter. <clears throat> it means if God so loved us, loved us in a way that caused him to show us mercy and send his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins and raise for our salvation that we might be born again, it means for Peter that our lives are to be lived in holiness. Like him. First Peter 1.15 again. As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Peter will use the rest of this letter to expound on this. But here in verses 11 and 12, Peter gives us two standards to bear. Two ways we live as the beloved. The first is to abstain. The second is to keep. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war on your souls. And secondly, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Glorify God on the day of visitation. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct honorable. Sometimes we can look at verses like these and think that we need to be aware of of legalism or that we might be leaning too far into some doctrine that says we're saved by our good works. But I'll remind us of Jesus' words in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And further Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our good works, our works of holiness, our abstaining from the lust of the flesh, what Peter called earlier our former ignorance, then listed a few of those, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Our works of holiness begin with abstaining from the works of the flesh. The ways of this world From which we were born again out of now he says you are sojourners and exiles you're in a hostile land of the enemy of God you will be persecuted you will be ridiculed you will be hated and you might be killed to some extent Paul is reminding us this world will treat Christ followers with malice deceit hypocrisy Envy and slander. But even in this land. Even in this land. Peter says you. Christian. Live. With honorable conduct. (coughs) Honorable conduct. Is holy. Conduct. It's living like Christ. Paul's words in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Why? Because the day of visitation is on the horizon. We live with eternity in mind. We live in the hope of the mercy of God. Of the returning. Resurrected. Savior. Jesus' prayer in John 17. Father. I desire that they also. Whom you have given me. May be with me. Where I am. To see my glory. That you have given me. Because you loved me. Before the foundation. Of the world. Jesus prays. I want these living stones. I want this temple of God. I want these holy priests to be with me. And in that day, even our persecutors, those who treated us with malice or deceit or slander, maybe even the ones who took our lives, will recognize our good works, our good works of holiness, And glorify God. Beloved we are God's temple. We are God's priests. And we are God's beloved. I pray today that we know this. More importantly I pray that our knowing this. Is translated into our living this. When we stumble and fail, and we will, when we are not holy in our conduct, I urge us to repent. The day of the Lord is upon us. When? I don't know. Maybe today. Maybe a hundred years. Maybe ten thousand years. But for you and me, as born again believers in the resurrected Jesus Christ, Friends, it's high time we lived holy lives. Lives worthy of being called the temple of God. Lives worthy of being called the priests of God. Lives worthy of being called beloved. I'm going to close with Psalm 60 today. In this psalm, you'll hear a list of enemies list of enemies of God who He has triumphed over. Some are foreign nations, some are tribes of Israel. But I want us to please note God has promised His beloved an eternal salvation. I pray today as we hear the word of the Lord again, your salvation is in the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And that today you and I And together we would forever put away the vain worldly means that war against our souls. Declaring the excellencies of him who called us into his marvelous light and keep our conduct honorable in a dark and dying world. Psalm 60. O God, you have rejected us broken our defenses you've been angry don't restore us you have made the land to quake, you have torn it open repair its breaches for it tortures you have made your people see hard things you have given us wine to drink that made us stagger you have set up a banner over those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exaltation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the veil of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe. For vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Father, we know. We recognize that we live in a world that is dark. A world that is at enmity with you. And despite what your word says here, for vain is the salvation of man, we continually try to save ourselves. We continually reject the gospel of Jesus. We continually want to define our lives by ourselves, rejecting your command to be holy. So Father, thank you for the reminder that we are being built together, that you dwell in your church, you dwell in the people of your church, and because you dwell in the people of your church, and we are your house, your spiritual house, this is where you are, you've called us to be your priests to take the message of the sacrificed resurrected one to the world proclaim his excellent mercies how you transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light Father in all the ways that we have rejected you in all the ways that we have rebelled against you, in all the ways that we have disdained you, we have displayed our, oftentimes our hatred of you. Yet Peter says, We are the beloved. You love your people, you give mercy to those who've had no mercy. Those who were not beloved now are. So, Father, we thank you. We can rest in that. We thank you that we look forward to that day of visitation, that moment when we are translated from this world to the next. But while we're here, we know we've got a we've got a command to be faithful. to reject those things of the world and to stand in the things of God. And so empower us to do that. Teach us to do that. Train us to do that. Equip us to do that. Help us to do that individually. But more importantly, help us to do that corporately. That together we can be your people. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Sharing the hope of Jesus in a lost world. And living a life of holiness so that even those who reject us will see the work you are doing in us and give you glory. Fathers, we continue through our worship service, through song, through affirming our statement of faith, through sharing and communion. May this be our moment of invitation. May this be the moment where we hear your voice call us to you maybe to be saved for the first time, maybe to recommit to you, maybe just to get on our face before you and say we love you. So Father, I would pray that you would take these few moments and work in our hearts your great mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.